Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Happy New Year's Eve. You know, it was 364 days ago that I spoke on New Year's Day. And my text before us today has both an opening and closing line that is the same. And so, if you will, be turning to Psalms 103. What we're going to venture into today is something I don't know if I can do. I'm used to teaching a Sunday school class where I can go through some material and stop and pick back up next week. But I'm actually going to try to do a high-level overview of this whole psalm, 22 verses. That'll be a feat in itself. And as I've studied, I've been emotional. I am emotional. I cry. These are tears of joy, tears of hope, tears of love for our great Redeemer. And I know as we sit here today in this group of people, there's many here who come with aches and pains of this year in 2024, heartache even. We're a broken people who live in a broken world, but we have a great God. We have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. And uh, the focal point of Psalms 103, really, is verse 19. There's a crescendo that the psalmist, David, is building up to verse 19. And really, there's so many messages that could be brought on this, uh, this psalm. Almost every verse, every couple of verses could be a message within itself. And it says that it's a psalm of David. And before we read it, I just want to give a little background. It's a psalm of David. We're not given any indication of anything that was going on in David's life at this time. We don't know at what period he may have wrote this. I tend to agree maybe uh, with Spurgeon, who believes that this was penned in his later years of walking with God. Having God as his defender, his redeemer, the source of his life. And me standing here as an old man, I want to share that with you as well. I think it's probably, probably so. He probably wrote it in his life, but we don't know. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he sinned. He too was broken. He too needed a redeemer. He's going to expound on this great redeemer in this passage. And while we look back to Calvary, David was looking forward to the Messiah coming to Calvary. David was working off of IOUs, trusting God, living by faith. We are looking back in the reality of that faith. The IOUs have been paid in full. Jesus said, it is finished when he died on the cross. So if you will, let's take our Bibles and read the word of God and then I'll try to go through it a few verses at a time. Verse 1, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgave us all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to his children. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And his place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and those his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word, your truth, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We're so thankful, God, that when you saved us, you put a song in our heart. And we're thankful for this song that you put in David's heart that here is still touching the lives of your people hundreds of years later, even thousands of years later. God, we're so grateful for you and your mercy. And I pray that as a vessel of your grace, a sinner saved by grace, that you would speak through us your word with power and with glory. For you alone are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Notice what, how David acknowledges the Lord. It's all caps. It's 11 times through this 22 verses. But if you use the pronouns that are involved in it too, there's 33 more times those pronouns are used. So 44 times throughout these 22 verses, David is extolling God. This is about God. This is about seeing God. And I think part of the problem in our lives today and in our culture and the troubles we deal with, we have a small view of God. God is a little small God. He's kind of our co-equal in many people's minds to come sit in churches. And if they, the world that we live in, the culture that we live in, they're trying to suppress any truth about God. 
So how big is your God? That's what we want you to see this morning. Think about David wants us to see the glory of who this God is. He's not a co-equal. He is God supreme. He is God of all gods. And he is our God. The intimacy that David has with this God. That's the intimacy we need to have. And I tell you, once you realize how big this God is, and many of you sitting here, you know that. But for many, I sat in churches for years and I didn't know how great God was. I was a struggling sinner who was saved by grace. I didn't know God was in complete control of all things. But David recognizes that. David's teaching us that God is sovereignly in control of all things. There's not one maverick molecule that can thwart his plans. Not one piece of cosmic dust that can change the decrees of God. That can break his love for us. Did you see that in this passage? His love for his people. David extols that. He's thinking about it more and more. So he, he uses the name Lord, all caps, Yahweh. The I am that I am, the God who created. The God of Genesis 1, in the beginning God. And then you notice what David is doing here. He says, bless the Lord. Now us as finite people, we can't bless God. He has everything. He's all self-sufficient. He owns it all. He owns you. He owns me. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Scripture teaches us. He is God. So how do we bless God? By praising him. This word bless, it has the idea of having gratitude, affection. Where's the affections of our heart in 2023 and moving into 2024? Where's your affections? Your affections man-centered because that's what verse 19 has to deal with. There's a watershed on verse 19. Is it a man-centered theology? When the drop of rain is, uh, if Piper... Uh, spoke one time talking about the sovereignty of God. That's the watershed of life. Drop of rain falls on one side of it and it rolls down. It's all about man, all about man, all about man. We get consumed in, in our culture. We're surrounded with noise about man. But on the other side of that watershed is the glory of God. And that's what we're about. This church here is about. Sola de Gloria. The glory of God. So I pray that you recognize his glory and you love his glory. And so what does that do to David? It causes him to say, oh, my soul. What is the soul? The soul has different ideas in our culture today. As we've been looking in our Sunday school class on the shattered image of man, thinking about that, we ventured into the realities of what's being taught in the world today. Even uh, Plato believed that the body the soul was imprisoned in the body and the only way the soul could be let loose was for the body to be taken away, to be separated. But that's not the way God created us. In Genesis 2-7, he says that he created us out of dust and he breathed into us, breathed into our nostrils and man became a living soul. So in the Hebrew understanding, the soul was all of who you are. It was your mind, it was your passions, it's your will, it's your feelings, your emotions, all of who you are. David is calling himself to reach down into who he is, the very core of his being, and bless the Lord, praise the Lord, all that is within me. 
Praise his holy name. That's what he's calling us to do, to bless the Lord. This title of my sermon today is, I've taken it from partially from Spurgeon because Spurgeon says about this that this is soul music. And soul music is the very music of the soul. Think about that, soul music. Now, he's not talking about soul train and and, and that's the, I love, you know, I love soul music. It stirs the emotions, you know, right? It stirs, music stirs our hearts and minds. He created us that way to speak to us through his word, through music. The music this morning has been beautiful. Daniel didn't know I was going to be speaking on one, Psalms 103, but the words in those songs this morning are all found in this passage right here. It's music. So the title of this message is The Music of a Redeemed Soul. Are you a redeemed soul this morning? I pray you are. And if you're not, I pray that after we go through this psalm, you will be stirred to trust in Christ, your only hope of salvation. Soul music is the very music of the soul. So what does he say? That all that is within me praise Bless his holy name. Bless and praise his holy name. Notice that holy. He recognizes that God is holy. We just said it in the Lord's Prayer. God, Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. But there again, how big is your God? Is your God just co-regent with you? If he is, he's not very holy. We don't live very holy lives. But he calls us to live a holy life. David recognizes that he's holy, that he's set apart. This is character. There's many of his attributes are going to be displayed here in this passage. So, first question I ask is how should a person bless the Lord or praise the Lord? With your entire being, all that you are. Bless his holy name. In, passage, in verses uh, two through six, I want us to look at that again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, why? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why should we bless the Lord? Because of these benefits. This is just the starting place. If you've never started here, look at what he says in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, our sin, our depravity. When our parents fell in the garden, we all fell with them. We're born into this world as sinners in need of grace, in need of life. And when he comes into your life and renews your life and regenerates your life, he takes all your iniquity away. He forgives all your iniquity, past, present, and future. What a savior. What a God who would do that even before the foundation of the earth, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. He already had a people in mind. He already had a plan in place to redeem and save his people. And if you're redeemed today, you're one of those people. 
Think about the all of that. This great God who loves you and gave himself for you, who forgives all your iniquity, sends it away. We'll talk about that later. Who heals all your diseases. The word for diseases in the Hebrew means sicknesses. It's only used five times. And it talks about languishing. Talks about being at the point of death. Some commentators think that David had this happen in his life. And maybe that's why he mentions it here, that it's actual physical diseases and sicknesses that he's healing him from. That could be. David does say in Psalm 6-2, he said, but be gracious, O Lord, I'm languishing. My sides in 38, in Psalms 38, 7, he says, my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. He had some physical things going on. You know, it could have been physical. But we have to point out that he heals you of all diseases. In this life, that'll never take place. But in that glorified body that was mentioned earlier, that will take place. That's something we have to look forward to, right? No matter what aches and pains, no matter what diseases we may have and incur here, whatever brokenness we go through while we're here, God has a new body for us. He's redeemed us all, soul and body, to be with him, to be with him forevermore, to sing his wonderful praise, bless the Lord, O my soul. But you know, also, I think these diseases have more, also could have to do with our, uh, the consequences of our sin. Some of us live with some Brokenness that come because of sin. Could it be an accident that we were in while we were in a state of depravity? We wounded somebody else. We wounded ourselves. Those aren't just healed because we become believers in Christ. But they come stepping stones for the future of working and being a blessing and helping others who may be struggling with some of the same sins and frailties that you were struggling with. So I believe it's really both. It's not an either or, but it's a both and. He's healed us from all our diseases and one day we'll have a glorified body. But one day he has also healed us from the diseases of sin. He's broken that domineering power of sin in a believer's life. Though when we were in the natural man, we didn't have an opportunity to not sin because that's who we are. We sinned because we were sinners. But in the new man, in the new life of Christ, in this new reality that David understands, there's this inner power, the spirit that indwells, empowers us to rise above that, to live differently. We have to be intentional about it, though. We have to be thinking about this song, the soul music of the redeemed's heart. This is key to understanding and living a vibrant Christian life. Doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy. But you know that on the other side, it's meant for our good and his glory. So not only does he forgive our iniquities, he heals our diseases. He also redeems us from the pit. How many of you think back? We stay so busy nowadays. How many of us think back to 
the reality of who we were before Christ, the pit that we were in. We were in a pit. We may not recognize it, but we were bound and we were in a pit of sin. A life of destruction, headed for destruction. That's what that word pit means in the Hebrew. It means destruction, it means corruption. Could be the grave. They used to dig pits for lions to fall in, for animals to fall in so they could kill them if they were attacking their sheep or animals, use it for food, whatever the case may be. They were in a pit. Joseph was in a pit one day, wasn't it? His brothers put him in a pit. And yet he was raised out of that pit and God made him second to Pharaoh in Egypt to redeem and save people. Jesus talked about a young man, a prodigal son who was in a pit when he found himself. He was in a hogwaller, slime all around him came to his senses. The Spirit of God awakened him to the reality of his lostness and where he was at and what he had turned away from, from his father. He went back. He redeems us out of the pit. But not only does he do these things, not only does he forgive our iniquity, not only does he heal our diseases, not only does he redeem us from the pit, but he crowns us. Think about that. From a pit now to a crown. He crowns us, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love, that's hesed. That's a royal love, a loyal love, a covenantal love that God has on his people. He crowns you with steadfast love. And not only love, but mercy, compassion. God is compassionate to us. He's compassionate. He loves us. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He is the only good. See, we're distracted by, in our culture by everything except what we need sometimes. God is what we need. We need to keep the right thing the right thing. It's God. It's who we need. It's not the frivolities of the world. It's not the humanistic ideas and materialism of the world. It's God himself. That's who we need. And so he is what is good for us. He is what satisfies the soul. We live in a culture that's chasing after all kind of ideas to try to fill the emptiness in our hearts and in their souls that only the cross of Calvary will fill we're chasing after alcohol. We're chasing after hedonistic ideas, money, the opposite sex, whatever it may be, power, prestige, fame. Some people just want to belong to somebody. Some people are looking for family, and they look for it in all the wrong places. It can only be found in God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He is what satisfies us. And it's when that happens in your life that your life is renewed. Even as an old man, the joy I have now is like the, renewed like the eagles. Some think that this uh, passage has to do with the eagles molting themselves, their feathers coming off, and they do things to them, but 
uh, fact check says that that's not really what happens. And But the reality is the eagle soars into the heavens, flies higher than any other bird. And when our hearts, when our souls are filled with this music of God, we soar into the heavens. We soar into his throne room. We are renewed like the eagles. No matter what's going on in our life, what if it's cancer comes into our life, financial difficulty, whatever it is, it death, sickness, we're knocked to the ground. The breath's knocked out of us. The Spirit of the Lord renews us and lifts us up so that we soar with the eagles. In verses 6 through 17, 18 is our next section. And I'll try to move quickly. But I want to ask the question, what is God like that we should praise him? The Lord works righteousness and justice, verse 6. For all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Let's just stop right there. What is it, verse eight says? It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Well, here's this mercy and grace right here. He's expounding upon it in verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That's grace. Our sins deserve judgment. Our sins deserve hell. Our sins deserve eternal separation and punishment from a holy God. But instead, he's gracious. And then what does he say here in verse 10? Nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's mercy. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. We deserve right the opposite. God is gracious and merciful. It goes on in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Wow. He shows us this grace. And then he removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. This steadfast love. East from the west. That's important. We've talked about this, and you, you probably know it. It's pretty simple. If, uh, why did he use east to west? Through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we start going north, sooner or later when we cross the North Pole, we'll be headed south. But if you start walking east, you're always walking east. If somebody else starts walking west, you're always walking west. The idea is here that it's infinity. He's removed our sins that far. As far as the east is from the west, Christ has done this. God has done this. David recognized this hundreds of years before Christ came and put his arms 
on that cross. It was nailed to it for our sin. He removed it. Well, that sets you free. That's a big God. If you, got, if you serve a little God, you're still wondering if all this is still hanging over your head. But when God does it, he, and you become his child, his compassion, his steadfast love, it removes it as far as the east is from the west. What about the heavens above the earth? Think about that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. The heavens above the earth. We have a lot greater knowledge of that now than David did. Didn't we? They had an understanding of the three heavens. It was the blue heaven where the birds and the clouds are. It was a, another heaven where the celestial planets were. And then on the outside of that was that third heaven that Paul talked about that he was called up into and saw things that no man should see. That third heaven's on the outskirts of all the planets of the universe that they knew at that time. With this new telescope that we have now, uh, with the Webb telescope, they say, they estimate, they don't know, but they estimate that the edge of our universe is 93 billion light years away. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Try to work that in your mind. How many trillions of miles that converts into? It actually converts into 8.46 to the 14th power miles away from here. And for, for the natural man, they say, oh, see, God can't exist. But our God is above all that. He created that. He's outside of all that. He's in control of all that. To me, it just makes the awe and wonder of who God is that much greater. Does it you? What a wonderful song David has given us. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Look, he just keeps building this crescendo, this crescendo that's building up. But then before he gets to verse 19, he says this. He's, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. A father. Do you need a father? Did you have a good earthly father? Some of us did. Some of us didn't. As I was studying this, there's a song that's very beautiful and popular. I won't have time to probably comment on it then, but I'm going to mention it here. And all of you know it. It came out in 2014. 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redmond. Matt Redmond's father passed away tragically, self-inflicted when he was seven years old. But he was never told that. He never understood what that was, what that was all about. And a few years later, his mom remarried. And his earthly stepfather was wicked, brutal to him. But he found solace in the church nearby. He spent his youth at the church hearing about God, learning about God, God changing his lives. And he wrote the song, 10,000 Reasons. He said for him, when he heard that God loved him and was his father, he said that changed his life, 
changed his trajectory, changed who he was and who he was to be. Now he had purpose. That's what God does to us when he saves us. We're not all to be cookie cutters. We're all individual. He created us differently, uniquely, just as a snowflake is unique and different. But yet he uses everything in our lives to mold and to shape us. He's the potter, we're the clay to reflect this glory, to sing 10,000 reasons, to sing with David, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's a wonderful, a good, good father, a heavenly father to all. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. There again, harking back to Genesis 2, 3. He shaped us out of dust. Dust we are and dust we shall return in three, Genesis 3.19. But in between those times, he's still our God. He's still with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. In verse 15, he goes on to say, look at the fi finiteness of man. How that we are not as great as we think we are. He said, well, as man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it. Can you imagine that? A flower and that hot wind coming over it and just sucking the life out of it. And then it's gone. And this is even, even sadder for us who are humanistically minded and its place is known no more. Man is always trying to make a name for himself. That's part of pride, part of sin. That's part of the wickedness of the flesh that still remains. But our goal is to make a name for Christ bless his holy name David said so we're here today we're like a vapor scripture talks about James talked about we're like a mist we're here today and we're gone tomorrow we think we're here a long time seems like it some of us may live to be 100 years old a little older average about 77 years they say it seems like a long time, but in the scope of reality, in the scope of singing glory to God, the scope of arousing your soul to praise God, 77 years is a short time. It is like a flower. It is like a mist or a vapor that's here today and gone. But then look at this contrast from being finite here today and gone tomorrow, but the steadfast love, verse 17 of the Lord, the steadfast of, uh, love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. For those who fear him and his children's and his righteousness to his children's children. Those who fear him. That's been used already about three times. Do you fear the Lord? We live in a culture that doesn't fear God because he's a, if he is God, he's a little God. This fear has to do with awe and respect and love and adoration. Fear and trembling before the Holy One who, when he takes his breath away, we're gone. We're like that grass, we're gone. He's here, we're here today and gone tomorrow, but God, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. In verse 19, who should praise God? Who does David say needs to praise God? The Lord, in verse 19, has established his throne in the heavens 
and his kingdom rules over all. Not one speck of us dust can thwart his plans. He rules over all. He's on above the universes. He rules it all. Everything, every minute detail is worked out. That's a great God. You can trust someone like that. When you're in school and you're being hounded by uh, agnostics and atheists, people who make mock you and laugh at you, this song needs to well up in your soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Maybe it's just with family members who are religious. They call themselves Christians, but they're nominal at best. They have no passion for the Lord. They have no passion for the things of God. First John, his letters and his epistles, he talks about in there what we will have passion for. We'll have passion for God. We'll have passion for his word. We'll have passion for his people. There's the fruit. Jesus says you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. What kind of fruit are we bearing for God? Are we singing this praise? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Because he's, his kingdom rules over all. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, his messengers, his representatives, those who tend to him daily. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Boy, it's a contrast between man and angels, aren't they? They're doing his word. They're listening to his word. They're obeying his word. Man doesn't always do that, does he? We fail miserably. Yet he loves us still. His steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever. It's not a cheap grace, though. Not a cheap grace. Because I didn't comment on it, but back up in verse 17, he, about the children's children, he says, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. God saves you out of that pit. He forgives all your iniquities. He separates all that as far as the east is from the west, but he doesn't leave you there. He's to transform you and change you. We live in a culture that everything's acceptable. Oh yeah, I trusted Jesus. But they still walk like the world. There's no commitment. I got a bandwagon I could get off on commitment. Just even with football, talking about what's going on in the transfer portal. It irks me. No commitment. No sense of signing your name to a contract and living by your word. Standing on that promise of what you committed to. Now it's just fly by the night anywhere you want to go. Dump on anybody you want to dump on. That's not following his commandments. His commandments is saying if you say yes, your yes should be yes and your no should be no. You should be committed to God and to one another. We should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves. So it changes your life if God is real to you and it sings in your soul. It changes your life. Little by little, God is changing me. I pray he's changing you. Then he goes on to say in verse 21, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. 
Now he's moved from angels to the host. Well, what is that? We're not sure, but it's probably all the host of heaven, all the armies of heaven. Angels are set up in hierarchies. You have the archangel and those below them. You have the cherubim that are mentioned in Scripture. You have the seraphim that's mentioned in Scripture. Whatever they are, they attend to God. He, he's, David is calling on the host of heaven to bless the Lord. And even in this, it could include that word host, sun, moon, and stars. What does the psalmist say? The heavens declare your glory and the firmament your handiwork. Day by day, it's singing praise to God. Everything he's created, he's calling everything in creation. And he goes on to say that in, in verse 22. Bless the Lord, all his works. Everything, praise the Lord. In all of his dominion, it says in verse 22. But then look, he's not leaving it at that. He's brought us to this crescendo that everything is to praise the Lord. But we haven't completed it if we don't do what he says at the end. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I pray that this year, this ending in 23, and the year that's ahead of us in 24, for as long as he gives us breath, this song will be in our heart. The music of a redeemed soul. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your marvelous grace. We thank you for your word again. Thank you for challenging us. I have wept over this scripture uh, for days now. And this morning has really been moving upon me. I pray that my heart will always sing of the glory of who you are, the praise of who you are. For without you, we could do nothing. What do you, David, uh, Paul asked the question, to the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? In the context, he's talking about ministers. But in the broader context, context, it talks about all of life. Everything we have, you have gave us breath to do that. You have gave us energy to do that. You have guided our steps. You have brought us to this place. I pray God now that as we move into this new year, that you would have preeminence in our life, that we would love you supremely, and that we would love others as you've commanded us to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.